Well, good morning. Good morning. Let's pray. Our precious Father, we just come before you today, and Lord, uh, it's a privilege, Lord God, to present your word to your family, to your people, Father, and we don't take it lightly at all, Father, and we just thank you for the ability, Father, to share your word, your living word that is inspiring, that is uh, all-giving, Father God, that just renews us, restores us, brings a balance back and puts us back on an even keel, Father God. Thank you, Father, that your word is alive, that it is power, that it goes forth and accomplishes all that it's set out to do, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, I'll watch the time. You should know me by now if you've heard me speak here a couple of times, um, that... um, I generally try to deliver a lot of word in the message, so I tend to read a lot of scripture. I've got one particular chapter that's 48 verses long, Pastor Tara. I'm going to read it all. My message today is, is entitled, Jesus, the Light, and the Lighthouse of the World. Go, well done, Tashi. Now, before I get into the whole lighthouse thing, let's set a foundation. And intrinsic to a lighthouse is light. So let's talk about that. The first reading I'm going to do is from 1 John chapter 1 and from verse 1. The title of the, the reading in the NIV is The Incarnation of the Word of Life. And it starts, That which was from the beginning, and I've injected Jesus, which we have heard, Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes, Jesus, which we have looked at, And our hands have touched Jesus. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, Jesus. The life appeared, Jesus. And we have seen it and testified to it, Jesus. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, Jesus. Which was from with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That's the foundation. I like the way the Amplified puts it. And I'll read it again in the Amplified so that you get a different perspective. I'm writing about what existed from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the one who existed even from before the beginning of the world, Christ. And the life, an aspect of his being, was manifested. 
And we have seen with our own eyes as witnesses and testify and declare to you the life, the eternal life, who was already existing with the Father and was actually made visible to us, his followers. What we have seen and what we have heard also we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship as partners with us. And indeed our fellowship, which is, dis- is a distinguishing mark of born-again believers, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our joy in seeing you included may be made complete by having you share in the joy of salvation. Verse 5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, the one, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So Jesus, we have established, is the word, and he is the light. And he says we need to have that light, that word in us. How do we accomplish that? Perhaps this is a little left field as to what you're used to as far as understanding how to have the light of the world within you. We'll turn to the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, we start off with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes basically give us a foundation, a framework, But it speaks about who are those who are called blessed. Stick with me, folks. This might seem a little hit and miss to start off with, but I'm going somewhere, trust me. So in Matthew 5, from verse 1, Jesus saw the crowds, they came, and he started preaching. And he said to them, Blessed spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired, are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. I'm reading from the Amplified, so it might be a little different to the NIV. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent. For they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed 
forgiven by God's grace are those who mourn beg your pardon, over their sins. I'm reading this twice because it's quite important. Over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the well-spirited, the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. Blessed, content, sheltered by God's promise are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed, anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character, for they will see God. Blessed, spiritually calm with life joy in God's favor are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character and, he, and be called the sons of God. More blessedness coming. Comforted by inner peace and God's love are those who are persecuted for doing what is morally right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, morally courageous and spiritually alive with life joy in God's goodness. Are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me, be glad and exceedingly joyful for your reward is in heaven. It is great, absolutely inexhaustible. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's an interesting scripture. It calls people who basically empty themselves of themselves blessed. It's basically saying that if you stand up for what is right, if you change your thinking, if you change the way you approach life, if you change the way you approach others in life, that is being blessed. So often we equate being blessed to something material, to having X amount of this or X amount of that, having so much of this and so much of that, and being able to do this and that and all those sort of things. But the Bible says no. The Bible says the manner in which you approach life and those around you that is being blessed. And then Jesus comes up and he says something that's completely left field from what he just said. Although completely related. You think God's confused? Never. Verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste and purpose, how can it be made salty? For it is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people when the walkways are wet and slippery. So Jesus says you need to be salt and light. That's your purpose. Be salt and light. Have the light in you and be salt. What does salt do? So salt preserves. Before we had all our lovely chemical preservatives that we have today, we had salt. And salt did a really good job of preserving stuff. At the same time as preserving stuff, it added flavor. 
so it had dual purpose. It's also a great disinfectant. Cut yourself. Have you ever had a, like a, a little mouth ulcer or something in your mouth? Whack salt on it. Man, in no time flat, it's gone. It's amazing stuff. It also does a great job of chlorinating your pool. Jesus says, be salt and light. You see, we need to guard against losing our purpose, which is to bring the light of the gospel of Christ, the light, to the world. For without that, the Bible says we are of no use. It's a tough standard. It's a, it's a hard thing to swallow, right? When God says that if you don't have purpose, then what use are you? It's difficult. It's a tough one. When I was preparing this message, I thought, God, do I really present this? Do I really say that? But you know, it's the word, it's the truth, and we should not shy and shrink away from speaking the truth. Verse 14. You are the light of Christ to the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We don't do it to be seen for ourselves. We do it so that God gets glory. We do it so that He is the one that the light shines, not on ourselves. We read before, blessed are those who into themselves of themselves and reflect the word of God. Okay, so, so far so good. So we're to be light and salt and shine forth God. And in true style, Jesus gives us a warning. Verse 17 to 20. And I know that all the New Testament scholars are going to collectively groan now, but that's okay. He says, do not think that I came to do away or undo the law of Moses. All the writings of the prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you and most solemnly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of the pen will pass from the law until all things which it foreshadows are accomplished. So whoever breaks one of these least important of the commandments and teaches others to do the same. That's the key, right? Careful. Will be called least important in the kingdom of God. Whoever practices and teaches them, he will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness, your upright and moral essence is more than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now with that statement, he wasn't saying that you had to, that they were really morally upright and full of light. He was saying the standard of the scribes and Pharisees is pretty low. You need to be better than them because they were full of religiosity and puffed up with themselves. Instead of shining the light of Christ and showing God, they were pushing themselves forward, and demonstrating their own apparent morality and apparent uprightness and everything that was good about them and how they had attained and how they were so pious. It had nothing to do with God was religion and it was killing the people of Israel 
Paul's saying, guard yourself. Never let it become about you. Let it always, always, always be about Jesus. Let it always be about the light. Always the word. Never about you. Because ultimately within ourselves, we can offer nobody anything. I know that's hard. I know that might come across as like defeatist and, and that sort of thing. And It's true. It's also completely and utterly satisfying and liberating to know that you don't have to do it. That it's the light within you. That it's the word within you. That it's living out the truth of the word that does it. There is no hard task in that. There is no hard grind and difficulty and, and striving and straining in that. It's actually completely liberating. You can, you can almost sit back on your father's yacht because God's done it. The word is there. All you have to do is shine it, is be the light. It's important that we stay true to the truth of the word. The Bible gives us a warning. It says, don't corrupt the word. Don't turn it. Don't twist it. Don't preach what you think. Preach the truth. Our opinions should never outweigh the truth of the word of God. Don't enter an argument with somebody because ultimately both lose. I might have a completely different approach to a particular aspect that you do. Neither of us is wrong. We just have a different approach. You might come from the north and I come from the south. We both get to the same place, don't we? That brings us to a really, really important thing. Our relationships with others. How do we relate one to another? How do we interact with each other? What is the basis of that relationship and that interaction? I think I've got my notes mixed up. Back to, um, to Matthew 5. Um, from verse 21, Jesus starts to speak about how we should treat one another in our daily lives. He teaches on families, friends, fellow people, and also on our interaction with God himself. Um, I'm not going to read all of it because it's long. But read from verse 21 to 48 and God says a whole bunch of things about our interaction with one another and basically what he's saying is respect each other love each other be kind to one another be gentle with one another be good to one another respect and in the same way do that unto God 
Because oftentimes we think that God is up there and he's, and he's God and this is true. But we need to deal with God in a similar fashion that we deal with one another. God is as much a person as you and I. In fact, he's the perfect person. And therefore our relationship with him should be no different than our relationship with those that are closest and most dear and loving to us. If we treat God in that way, if that relationship, that vertical relationship with him is approached with love, integrity, respect, joyfulness, longing, desire, love, then what kind of relationship do you think that's going to build between you and God? Don't you think that that relationship will go from a point of distance, of God is over there somewhere, and I'm just done here, to God is right here with me? That God is right here in me? We're talking about getting the light inside, right? God is right in me. You only develop that relationship by having one. If you see somebody once a year, it doesn't matter how much you like them. There's no relationship. If you never hear from them, if you don't write to them or they write back to you, you don't speak to them on the phone or Skype or whatever, there is no relationship. You have to be in constant communication, constantly speaking, interacting. You only learn to know somebody by interacting with them. And the relationship that is most important to us, the one that we have to know the deepest and the most, is God. Why would we spend time with whomever and count that as more valuable than spending time with God and learning to know Him? Our earthly relationships are merely reflections of our relationship with God. I'm sorry that this is perhaps a slightly subdued word. It's like we took water and dumped it over everybody and now you're all cold and wet and miserable. It wasn't intended that way. But I feel that the gravity of what, it, what that message is is that important. And I don't want to make light of it. I feel that, that getting that light within us, that demonstrating that light to the world, that is our purpose. That is our call. That is the very reason we exist. So we can't make light of that. Verses 43 to 48. God says, Love unconditionally. For that will be the differentiator between you, God's children, and the world. See, people in the world love each other. The Bible says that, that the thieves and the, you know, the robbers and whatever, they have a relationship and are caring for one another. So how is our relationship then different? He says love unconditionally. He says when somebody... And, and I, I just really like the way the Amplified Bible says it. So, where somebody slaps you on the left, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you'd be a doormat. And a, 
you know, people just walk over you. But he says, turn the other cheek, not so that you can get slapped on the other cheek, but to demonstrate to the person that, you know what, it's okay. Here's my good cheek to you. I still love you. Not, oh, well, I'm really tough. You slap that one. Go ahead and slap that one. It doesn't make any difference to me. I don't care. It's not what the word is saying. It says, if you slap me on this cheek, I'll turn this cheek to you because this one's okay. It doesn't sting and there's no hurt there. So I will demonstrate that non-hurt, the love back to you. It's okay. You can treat me badly. They treated Jesus really badly. And he said, forgive them. He said on that cross, loved what Ty said this morning. He was on the cross and he says, it doesn't matter. I don't care. This was my purpose. This is why I came. Forgive them. So right, we've established that God is light. We've established that his word is truth. We've established how we should interact with one another and the sort of attitude and the sort of character that we should have in order to be able to demonstrate that light. We've now laid the foundation for the lighthouse. Because that is what we've called to be. Lighthouses. Where's my lighthouse, Tash? Please give me my lighthouse. There it is. When you look at that, when you when you just see that, what is the most drawing aspect of that image? What, what attracts you immediately? The light. What's the thing that stands out from the rest of that image above everything else? It's the light. The light immediately draws your eye. Because it's bright, it stands out, it's prominent. And then you see the darkness around it. Then you see the, the ocean and the rocks and everything else that's in darkness around it. But the first thing you see is the light. Because that's what draws and attracts people, is the light. Darkness doesn't attract people, it pushes people away. Storms and the mist at the bottom and the ocean and all that, that doesn't attract people unless you're maybe that way inclined to go seeking out dark places. Come speak to me, I'll talk to you about the light. Dark places don't do anything for you. They lay you to ruin because at the bottom you see all the mist. You don't know what lies under that mist. Looks all, oh, it's all fluffy and misty. But beneath it is destruction and waves and not very nice stuff. What do lighthouses do? provide a point of reference for ships to steer towards. They also show where the danger is and for ships to steer away. So you'll see the lighthouse out there. Anybody who's sailed and been out in the ocean, it's a point of reference. Go, oh, there's the lighthouse. There's land. There's safety. That's where I must go to. Initially you steer towards it and then it shows you the destruction underneath. Be careful and you steer around it. 
it also provides employment to the lighthouse keeper and his family. Why do I say that? Purpose. It gives somebody purpose. And where do you find lighthouses? Indeed. Generally high up, above the danger. Not wallowing in the waves. High up, above the danger. I've seen some lighthouses that are built like on the ocean. Get smashed by the storms. I don't want to be that lighthouse. I'd rather be the one that's up high. Amen. Doesn't mean that the one down there's purpose is any less. But God calls us to be elevated above. They're clearly visible. They're not tucked away. They're not hidden. Who would put our lighthouse in a cave? What's the point? The bats don't need a lighthouse. They don't want the lighthouse, trust me. They're very upset by the lighthouse. Lighthouses are in the thick of it. The wind, the rain, the sun, whatever the weather, they are there. They're not hidden. They're prominent. They're on top of it. What are lighthouses made of? Strong, sturdy foundations set deep in the rock. Weather-resistant stone, brick, wood, metal, hardy materials that can take a beating. Highly polished mirrors to reflect the light and fuel for the light. You're going to go, where are you going with all of this stuff? Don't worry, I'll bring it together. So how do we compare Jesus, the lighthouse, and the child of God? How do we bring them all together? We are called to set our lives on the firm foundation that is the Word of God. This will elevate us above the dangers of drowning in the ocean of life's troubles. We read in the Beatitudes, we go back to it, how to show godly morality and behavior. These are the foundations of our lives. So in this elevated position, we'll be seen, but we'll be open to criticism because we're seen, because we're above it. We'll be open to criticism. Wind, rain, that is the criticism, world, opinions of men. But we'll also be right up, able to bask in the warmth of the sun, which is the love of God. So it's not all bad being up there in the high places. It's good. It's good. It's when there's rain, but there's also a lot of sun. We read how we should show unconditional love, regardless of how we are treated and how we should interact with others. That is that elevated position. Amen? We need to be made of sturdy stuff, filled with the word, we become resistant to the weather of the world. You're clad with the armor of God. Amen. Put it on every day. 
so that you can resist and be defended against the fiery barbs that come. The light must be within us in order for it to shine forth. We can't shine darkness. The two are mutually exclusive. Darkness has no light. It absorbs the light. In other words, it kills and smothers the word. That's what darkness does. The nature, the character, the love of God is fueled. Spoke about fuel earlier for the light. It's fueled by the Holy Spirit, that fire that's within you. That fire that burns within your soul. The Holy Spirit alive within you. That is the fuel. It will cause the light to burn bright and to shine in our lives. It's not a power that we possess. The lighthouse without fuel is just a building on a hill. Without fuel for the light, the lighthouse cannot function. That fuel is the Spirit of God. That fuel is Him within you. That fuel is His life, giving your life purpose. Without it, you're wasting your time. Like a lighthouse, we need fuel to be brought in. Lighthouse isn't built with the ability to create fuel. The fuel gets brought in. That fuel is spending time in the Word. That fuel is that relationship with God. That fuel is allowing the Spirit of God to reside within you and allowing Him to work out through you. The fuel has to be brought in. And it's got to be brought in all the time. Who knows that fuel runs out? Don't try and live today on last week's fuel. You're going to burn out. You'll burn out. Last year's blessing is not this year's blessing. Last year's promise is not this year's promise. It needs to be renewed, restored, built up again, constantly, daily, every day. How often do you put petrol in your car? When you see it reach E for empty, it's a bit late. <laughs> Alarm. You know why they put, they put indicators in cars with little lights that warn you. Just careful, you're running out of fuel. You're going to get stuck. Or the engine isn't working properly. Go and have it serviced. Our lives are no different. Light gets created from being with God in fellowship, spending time with his people. I thought a little bit about this and I was preparing this message and God said, I want you to drop this in there. And I said, mm, uh, it's a bit, maybe a little bit theologically on edge. But I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus is the light of the world. He came and he shines. And then he left. And before he left, he said to the disciples, go into all the world and spread the gospel. Make disciples of all men. Stick with me here. I'm going to make a statement. Jesus couldn't have done it on his own. spreading the gospel around the world. He needed us. 
if he was going to do it on his own, he would have done it. He wouldn't have left and said, go out and preach. Go out and fill the world with the gospel. Which makes us the mirrors. He is the light. We are the mirrors. Ever seen a lighthouse without mirrors? It's called a candle. It can't reflect anything. Got no mirrors, there's no reflection. You can see the light. It's like really dim and it's out there. And the closer you get to it, the more you see it. But you, the chances of you seeing it out in the middle of the ocean are pretty slim. Yeah, we can have the band come up. With the mirrors, that light is amplified. It shines forth into the darkness. That is our purpose, to shine into the darkness, to reflect the light that was within us. A mirror without light can't reflect anything. But the light and the mirror together are so powerful. That's why we need to keep our mirrors highly polished. How do you keep the, heart, the mirror polished? Live the life that God has called you to live. Stay in the word. Be blessed as per the Beatitudes. That is our purpose. To remain salty and to reflect the light. Be lighthouses. Be set high on a hill. Deep foundations in the word. Live your lives as acceptable and clean and worthy because a dirty mirror doesn't reflect very well. Have clean lives. Reflect the light constantly. As I said, this might come across as a slightly heavy word today. But I think it's important at this time of year because Jesus came as the light of the world. He came to shine out into the darkness, to destroy the darkness, to show up those things that were causing the people of Israel at that time and the whole world to stumble because they were getting destroyed by religion, by paganism, by all things that were not of God. So Jesus came and he rescued us. And he said, here's the light. Shine it forth. Here's the light. Be a lighthouse. Here's the light. Be the beacon that the world can look to for safety. Not to show up their faults and bring condemnation, but to be a place of refuge. To show them the way to God, because that's the only way we can go. Amen. If you're struggling with being the light, if you're struggling and your mirrors are a little dusty and maybe smudged and maybe there's a bit of, bit of soot on the mirrors and they're not reflecting like they could and like they should, 
there may be we need to reestablish that relationship with God so that he can wipe those mirrors clean again so that we can know the one that has called us to be the light in this world, salt to restore our saltiness otherwise we get thrown out on the, on the sidewalk and we become grit for people to walk on, right? Let's be salty. Let's add flavor. Let's preserve. Amen. If you'd like to stand with us. Father, as we, as we come before you today, Lord God, we are contrite in spirit, Father God, we are not puffed up, we are not exalting ourselves, Lord God, but we exalt only the name of Jesus. Lord, your light, let it shine through us and in us, Father God. Lord God, let that light be the beacon that this world needs. Father God, let your light be an all-consuming fire, a flame that just burns up the darkness, Lord God. Let your light shine forth through our lives, Lord. Let us be found acceptable, Father God. Let us polish those mirrors once again so that we can better shine and reflect the goodness, the wonder that is Jesus. No other name, no other name. 